If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2, and to ask you guys a question, why should Dory feel any sense of worth? Even before her sister and her were discarded at an orphanage, life with their mother was just filled with rejection. And her mother would leave Dory in charge of her little sister, Marie, for hours, a six-year-old responsible for the care of a five-year-old. And each time, she longed desperately for her mother to return, saying to herself, I hope she'll be glad to see me. But each time her mother returned, she just brushed right past Dory to gather Marie into her arms, give her a great big hug, sometimes bringing her a gift, always giving Marie attention and not Dory. No wonder Dory was left with such low self-worth. And this is a true story from a book titled Dory, the Girl Who Nobody Loved. And it feels, right, at times in our life, we feel worthless, we feel rejected, we feel like no one cares about us, and if we were to just die right now, no one would notice. And so, to ask the question tonight, am I good enough? I wanted to qualify that question with another question, am I worthy? Because... For ages 10 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. And it's sad to hear those numbers. And that same website that gave that statistic gave all these tips, all these preventatives for people struggling with depression and low self-worth. And they all missed it. They all didn't aim at the heart of it and... Another story, one woman thought she was having an allergy attack. She couldn't see. She went to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor explained to her that her vision was fine. Her lens went back. And I don't, I don't wear contact lenses, but I guess they can like be inverted somehow, and that just throws vision all kinds of crazy. And the doctor basically explained to her that it wasn't an allergy attack, but she needed a new lens and she needed you could say like she needed a new perspective and when you when i when we feel worthless we need a new perspective and tonight i want to show you what the bible says about our self-worth and so i told you to turn to ephesians 2 but hold your place there go to genesis 1 real quick because the bible would describe to us that in genesis 1 the universe the world animals humans, nature, everything, six days, six 24-hour days, God creates everything. And if you're in chapter one with me, look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so from this passage, God's word, God created man. And God alone created the male and female. 
And they're created with the highest dignity, honor, right? Because they are created in God's image. And this applies to all of us, that we're all created in God's image, that we all have worth, we all have dignity, we all have value because we're created in God's image. In verse 26, right? Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That Christians, right, we believe the whole counsel of God's word, that our God is a triune God, that he is what we say Trinitarian. He's one in essence, three in persons, right? And this, right, all of them talking together saying, let us create man in our image, that you tonight were planned, that you were talked about, all three persons involved in the creation of making humanity in the image of God, to be image bearers, right? God himself is perfect, and so he created man just like himself, perfect. To be image bearers, God himself is light, full of glory, and we are created with that glory of his light. To be image bearers, God is holy, holy to mean set apart, that we are set apart, right? We have souls, animals do not. We are set apart from all the animals, every other creeping thing on this earth. Monkeys, manatees, manatees don't creep, but you get the point, right? Everything set apart. God is love. We're created to show love and devotion. God is spirit that he always has been and always will exist. He has no beginning. We have a beginning, right? You have a birth date, but you'll never cease to end. You may have the first breath you ever took, the first moment of conception, but you will always be. And to this end, right, you and I, we are created to worship something. As followers of Jesus, we understand that we worship God and we live our life to his honor and to his glory. And we're created for that purpose. And that will never cease. And so you have worth, you have dignity, you have value. But the question tonight, am I good enough? Do I need anything outside of myself? Is there anything I need? And the Bible has an answer to this. Because some people, right, they, the world will tell you you have everything you need, everything you ever want to do comes from within yourself. You can be good enough. But the Bible says you are not enough. In fact, that you are dead in your sins, that you are an enemy against God, that before Jesus, you were against him. In Ephesians 2, if you want to turn back there, we see our condition rightly, that the Bible gives us the perspective change we need. And so read with me in chapter 2, verse 1. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray tonight. Father, Lord, your word open before us. God, we got to sing praises to you, to read your word, and to God ask that tonight you would work in the hearts of your children tonight. God, that we would hear your word faithfully preach, God. May I say only what you would have me to say tonight, God, and may we apply this text tonight, God, that we may grow to love you more and grow to obey. And God, if anyone here tonight does not know you as the Lord, God, I pray tonight you would open their eyes. They would see Jesus. They would see him as better than anything this world can offer, better than any any sin, any person, anything, God, that you would be supreme. And Lord, just tonight may, may your spirit work. May you, may you be glorified in our time tonight. Lord, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We are dead in our sins. One person said self-righteousness is an obstacle to the gospel, which insists that true righteousness can only be found in Jesus, that the work of sin, Paul is very clear in this first verse, you are dead. And this is emphatic. You were dead. You were dead in your sin. And tonight there will be this comparison of the person who is lost and the person who knows Jesus as Lord. The person who knows they are not righteous, they are not worthy, that they need the Savior. And the person who believes they are self-righteous, they, they are good. And those who think they're, they're self-righteous, that they have everything they need within them, they don't need anything outside, that anything people have to offer them like Jesus, they don't need. And Paul, he makes this clear, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. When we sin, we miss the mark. We, we have a an, an aim we're, we're trying to reach, that God's standard is here and we miss it every time. And every thing we try to do, we cannot live up to it. No person, 
disciplines his body in eating and exercising and sleeping all the time, perfect, right? If eight hours of sleep was perfect every night, 98% of you are not hitting eight hours a night. We're about to eat Chick-fil-A tonight, right? Not healthy, perfectly healthy food. It might be the Lord's chicken, right? But it's not healthy. No husband or wife is free from selfishness and disturbance all the time. Not perfectly. No child obeys his, his or her parent all the time, right? You never obeyed your parents perfectly all the time, right? Even if I said you did it one day perfectly, the next day you screwed it all up. You missed the mark. These people that they're dead in their sins, they are the ones who follow the ways of this world. Any follower of Jesus, before you were saved, you followed the ways of this world. And those are the those who are dead in their sins, they follow Satan, right? Verse 2. Following the prince of the power of the air, that they Satan who's currently ruling this world allowed by God, who's in charge, the prince of the air. Satan is, you can describe him as a schemer. He's the smartest on how humans think, on how humans work. He's a schemer, uses all sorts of tricks, all sorts of ways to lure God's people, his creation, his image, to miss the mark. He's a schemer, and one of his tricks, it's illustrated by a Chicago-area drug user who became a police informant, and as an informant, this man's job was to induce other drug dealers to sell drugs to him or to an undercover police informant, and this informant was unusually successful. And one of his most successful strategies for, for duping these drug dealers was to give them a challenge. He had told them that everybody says they can deliver, but you look a little, long, little young, or you look a little old, or you look like a nerd. Let the people think that they're in control. And he succeeded because he understood their psychology, that Satan also understands psychology. He also understands the same scheme, that he challenges people's egos, that he challenges them on their weaknesses, what their weak spot is. And only after sin takes its course do people find out ultimately they're not in control, right? We, we may sin once or twice and say, I'm not a slave to it. I'm not in control of, they're not, sin's not in control of me. And right, we find out over time, we are slaves to it, that those before Christ, they are slaves to sin. That Satan has studied humanity for thousands of years, knowing how to manipulate us. And verse 2 goes on that the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Those who are actively rebelling against God. And we see a trend right now, religion is on the rise. You ask someone 
10 years ago of what they were to believe, and they're atheists, they're agnostics, and now it's, right, I'm religious. I believe in something. And they're, right, you ask them questions and you've never heard it before, or it seems very made up, and they blindly follow after this God. You try to pin them with evidence or examples. They can't give them to you. They just blindly believe it. And as Christians, we're accused of blindly following God, that we have no evidence to follow. Yet we have so much internal and external evidence from within the Bible, from outside the Bible, that we can prove what we believe. But ultimately, right, whether they make up their religion, whether they don't believe in anything, they are sons of disobedience. They're ones who are separated from God. And as Christians, we understand we were once there. We were once enemies of God. We were once alienated from God. In verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And when most, pers- most people think of desires of the flesh or passions of the flesh, what are the first thoughts? It's, it's sex outside of marriage, it's, it's gluttony, it's intoxication, it's laziness, it's pornography, right? It's the sins that seem worse and desires and lusts, right? That's also immoral thoughts. That's also anger. That's also unbelief. That's idolatry. That's envy. That's false beliefs. And the point is, right, the, the person who's lost, the person who doesn't know Christ, they live to fulfill these desires. They live to serve these masters. He's following the passions of this world. He may even be what the world considers a good person, that they live a good moral life. They do good deeds. They serve in the food, the food shelters. They serve, they give to the poor. And when we look at this question, am I good enough? No good work, no good deed gets you to heaven. Not all the good works in your life added up, right? It, it doesn't match. It doesn't balance. Two types of people, right? The person who's lost, the person who doesn't know Christ, and the person who God has opened their eyes that they know Jesus to be Lord. Their sins are forgiven. They understand what God has done for them. And they were carrying out the passions of the flesh. They were carrying out the desires of the body. That Paul says, by nature, we fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. No one is born good. We are all wicked. We are all sinful. We are all separated from God, and were by nature children of wrath. That we didn't 
learn to sin, that we were born sinful. Right out of the womb, we were sinful. We were enemies against God. We were separated from him. You were dead in your sins, and you deserved God's wrath. And then that's where verse 4, it could be the two, two of the greatest words in Scripture, but God. But God. We were dead in our sins. We were without hope. We didn't have any chance of salvation. We couldn't do any amount of good works to get us into heaven to be saved. We couldn't do anything. We can't live and keep God's law, all 600 of them, perfectly our entire life. We can't do it but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Because of God's mercy, because of God's great love. We saw the work of sin, now we're seeing the work of mercy. That one saint said, there's nothing that affects me more profoundly or more quickly melts my heart than to reflect on the goodness of God. It's so vast, so deep, so amazing, so unlike and beyond the most perfect human disposition that my soul is overwhelmed. Right? You just, you think about and you think of everything God has done in your life, everything he saved you from and everything he continues to do for you. It's amazing because God who's rich in mercy who's great in his love. He doesn't leave you or I to our own devices. That he has saved you from your sin. That God intervened. He sent Jesus to live the life we could not live. Jesus who kept the law perfectly, who hit God's standard, who, who lived the life we could not live and died the death you and I deserved, rose from the grave, Right, God's wrath was poured out on him. At God's wrath, Jesus took the punishment that we may have life, that our sins would be forgotten. And right, this is the gospel of Jesus. This is what we want to go to Otterbein and to Ohio State. This is where we want to tell any anyone we meet, young, old, right that Jesus did this so that they may have life. To confess him as Lord, to repent of your sins. Repent meaning turn from, right? You're walking one direction and to turn from, right? You're going an entirely new direction. We turn from living the life of sin and we live for Jesus. In verse 5, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That those of us who know Jesus, who have confessed Jesus as Lord, that we've turned from our sin, that we live trying to glorify him. Am I good enough? Yes, you are worthy, but no, you are not good enough. You need someone to pay for the penalty of your sins. You need someone to do what you could not do. And the Bible says there is someone. Jesus did that for you. And one preacher said the gospel plus nothing equals 
everything, right? Because so many religions want to take the gospel plus works or the gospel plus this prayer, the gospel plus this equals salvation. And the Bible is no, the gospel plus nothing equals everything. We are saved by the act of God and God alone. That Paul earlier in this letter, if you turn the page to chapter 1 and verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Those who are saved, who know Jesus, and those who are lost, who believe, they are righteous, who have everything within them. One group experiences the resurrection power of Jesus. One does not. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That you, if you've, if you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been made alive together in Christ. We did not deserve to be saved. We did not do anything to earn salvation. We were enemies with God, and he made you alive together with Christ. Why? Because of his great love, his great mercy, that we might have life. And what God, what does this work of God bring? Verse 6, and raise us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This verse, right, can sound confusing because, right, I thought Jesus was 2,000 years ago. I thought he lived then, he died then, he, he rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven then. How, do, how am I raised with him? Right, we're not there physically, but as believers, we are seated with Jesus in the heavens because there's, there's a union there. We've been made alive. Man had already sinned, righteousness and perfection had already been lost, and only perfection can live in the presence of God. So there was one hope. If a man could live a perfect and ideal life, if a man could secure the perfect ideal righteousness, then the ideal man who could stand for all and cover all men who could trust in him. And this is what Jesus did. Because that perfect and ideal man, Jesus, bared the penalty of death, that he took the sin of man. Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead. He was the ideal and perfect man. Therefore, his resurrection can stand for anyone who trusts in him. And this person who believes in Jesus, who trusts in him, who believes in him for the forgiveness of sins, he is justified. He is the two groups, right? Those separated from Christ and those in Christ. He has moved from separated to in Christ, and nothing moves him. No person, no angel. Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing 
separates a child of God from their father. And the believer, right, their life, their walk, it's not just to believe in Jesus and live however you want. No, that your outward works, the, the commands of the Bible, the, the, the teachings week in and week out you hear at church that you read in the Bible, right, you live those out, but all of that is an outward expression of the inward change of heart. That God counts the person as being together with Christ. That he is having already died and been raised with Christ. That he's been having been placed in the death and resurrection of Christ. Made a partaker in the death and resurrection of Christ. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's mercy to show believers the riches of his grace for all the ages, for all the generations. For an eternity, believers will live in awe and majesty of who God is and what he has done. And the point is not that in the coming ages, right, that you'll you'll see the goodness of God end, that it is inexhaustible. God will continually show his children inexhaustible riches and graces lavished out on them. So the work of sin, the work of mercy, verse 8, the work of grace, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. That salvation, it's a free gift of God. Free gift of what he's done for us, that what he did, no one could do. That, right, verse 9, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We don't earn our salvation. We can't do enough good works to, to earn it. But we trust in what Jesus had done. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You don't know Jesus and live however you want. That we are his workmanship. We are created for good works. And so you may be sitting there tonight that you, you don't know this Jesus. You don't know him as Lord. And I, my prayer is that you will talk to someone tonight, that you will seek this out further. What does it mean to know Jesus as Lord? How can I turn from my sin and trust in Jesus? And the band will come up and we'll sing another song. So if you want to bow your heads and we'll pray that for the believer, I just, you know, are you thankful that God has moved you from that position of not knowing Christ, that you are an enemy, that he has saved you from that sin, and now you trust in Jesus? And God, Lord, I just pray that you would
work in the hearts of your people, God, that we would hear this word and grow in our love and obedience to you, God, that we would continue to tell others about what you've done for us. And God, there's someone here tonight who does not know you. God, I pray they would know the gospel clearly tonight. They will, Lord, turn from their sin and trust in you. And Lord, that we would just, as your children, grow in thankfulness for what you've you've done in our life, what you've saved us from, and you continually lead us and guide us to live honoring and glorifying you. And so, God, I pray that we would continue to be faithful to go and to share the good news of Jesus and continue inviting young people, God, to, to hear your word and to hear the gospel of Jesus. God, I, I pray that everyone here tonight, Lord, would know the truth that they are worthy, God, but they are not good enough, that they need someone to save them from a debt they cannot pay. God, that you've done such a glorious thing in sending Jesus to, to do what we could never do. So, Lord, we're thankful for what, you, what you've done for us and what you continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.